Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Fantastic. Well, we are going to continue our series called Bless This House. So this is Bless This House Week Two. Amen. Sounds kind of cool. And uh, this series really does uh, address my desire and more importantly, God's desire for you to be blessed. And when Jesus says the word blessed, he means he wants you to be well off. He wants you to be fortunate. He actually wants your lifestyle to be an envious lifestyle. He wants your lifestyle to be uh, and contain something that other people don't have and that can be the attractive pull in your life. You know, it's not about just witnessing. It's not about opening our mouth. It's actually about having something that we showcase and that's the kind of blessed life that Jesus wants us to have. Amen. Unfortunately, as I addressed last week, when you look at a lot of families, and particularly Christian families, we are more troubled than we are blessed, which means something has gone amiss. And whenever something's gone amiss, it's never on God's part, it's always on our part. And so this series really does seek to hone in on what it takes from us in order for us to live the blessed life that Jesus spoke about and promised that you and I could have. And so we're looking at the teaching that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 5. It's commonly called the Beatitudes. And the reason it's become known as the Beatitudes is because it's addressing the character and the nature and the attitude that Jesus wants us to have and live out and to be, hence the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus highlights eight characteristics of those who are blessed. And we want to look at four. Last week, we looked at blessed are the hungry and thirsty, and we addressed the attitude toward God. Next week, we're going to look at blessed are the peacemakers, which addresses our attitude toward opposition. And the week after that, we're going to look at blessed are the persecuted, which addresses our attitude towards suffering. But for today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 1. And five, and it says, And now then, when he saw the crowds, he went up to on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Today's subtitle and the issue that we're addressing is Blessed are the pure in heart, which addresses the attitude toward truth. Now, when it comes to truth, you need to know there's two kinds of truth. There's the truth that we all like. Amen. There's truth that we like. Uh, And then there's another kind of truth, and it's the truth that we don't like. But this addresses the truth. And Jesus said it this way, the truth will set you free. Notice the word the truth. He didn't say a truth. You see, in every argument, there's always a truth. There's your truth and there's somebody else's truth. And the reason we feel so indignant is because what we're sharing is actually true. There's always truth to every side of every story. The trouble is, if we only have our truth, if we only have a truth and don't have the truth, we'll always stay in bondage. 
But Jesus said, I have come to set you free. And the way He sets us free is by sharing the truth. And so we need to really lean in and listen in and ask God to help us discern whenever we listen to the preaching of His Word or read His Word so that we don't just interpret it with our truth, but we interpret it with His truth. In actual fact, the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, is a liar. He's the father of lies. Many of us would know that. But what many of us do not know is how he lies. And what I've learned about the enemy is the way he lies is through telling the truth. He uses truth to distort truth. He uses a truth to distort the truth and brings division. And he comes to kill, steal and destroy with his lies by using a truth. And so this message today really wants to hone in on the truth. Question, who here has ever been broken into or robbed? Anyone? Give us a show of hands. We have not once, not twice, but five times. Five times. Anyone been broken into more than five? All the South Africans probably. (laughs) But for Australia, that's a pretty big number. And in Adelaide, that's a pretty big number. But I remember uh, when we moved into our new home that we're in now, six years ago, we'd only been in it a couple of weeks and, and our whole family were in the uh, house and the McGaws were visiting and they were there too and uh, two young lads decided to come into our home, broke into our home while all these people were in the room and uh, unbeknownst to us and we woke up in the morning and I'm, I'm looking for my iPad. I'm like, where's my iPad? Can I have my iPad? And I'm doing the whole husband, you know, the, the loving husband thing. Honey, what have you done with my iPad? And, and we found out that uh, that had been taken and a number of other things had been taken. And I've got to be honest with you, you know, kind of all kinds of emotions and feelings, you know, take place. And it was a Saturday night that happened or an early Sunday morning. I started to go and preach and say, hey, God's good. And so we got through that. But in my heart, you're kind of like, man, a little bit violated. And, you, you, you know, you want to, you know, forgive me, forgive me. But, you know, I wanted to, you know, grab, I wanted to lay hands on them. I, let me say that. <laughs> As a pastor, I wanted to lay hands on those kids, just in a loving way, you know, a really strong, loving way. I wanted to give them a hug. I, wanted to give, I, I did. I wanted to give them a big squeeze, I did. I, and uh, we, we, never, we never actually found them. But, you know, what, 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 we, what we did do, what we did do, and, and I think uh, most people that have ever been broken into do something about their property once you've been broken into. And so because... There was no neighbours at that stage. It was a very uh, new development. Uh, we had no fencing up, which made our house a really easy target. So I just got on the phone and said, right, we need fencing now. And we made sure that uh, the, the place was fortified and so that that wouldn't happen again. And I would be applauded for taking that course of action. Because why would you want to just leave your house that exposed and that open? And it's amazing when you talk about physical things or or natural things like that. You know, we applaud that. We say, well done, Tony. And you know what, Tony? Uh, If you had got your hands on those young guys and you had have given a big old squeeze, you know, we would have loved you enough and we would have forgiven you and and probably even applauded you. If we're honest, there's, there's something that's in us that applauds when we protect that which is nearest and dearest to us. We get indignant and we say, yeah, well done. You know, you hear these stories where people, you know, break in. And and we had this situation at our old place. There were some young kids uh, rattling around near our meter box. And Kath and I both woke up and and, uh, we were startled. and, And so I just... 
you know, got, I'm in my boxes and I'm making all this noise, banging on the window. We run outside and, and uh, scare these kids off. And, and one kid just, just got the fright of his life around. I fell down the wall and then just limped away. And, uh, you know, I, I never got a hold of them. And I don't even know what would have happened had I got hold of them. Um, maybe it would have gone really bad for me. I don't know. But uh, I didn't get a hold of them. But I can honestly say that something went off on the inside of me just to protect that which is near and dear to me and those that I love the most. And again, I, I think most people would applaud that kind of action. Am I speaking to the right people today? Uh, and yet, at the same time, um, when it comes to protecting our morals and when it comes to protecting our hearts, we don't seem to applaud that as much. We, we, we applaud it when we, we protect things physically, but when we protect things spiritually or morally, we tend to be more mocked than applauded. We tend to be labelled as um, super spiritual, a little bit legalistic, getting a little bit too full on. You're getting a little bit strong now. Can we get back to what you were going to do to those young lads? But the bottom line remains that we have an enemy. Just like those two kids came to rob us, the enemy wants to rob you. The Bible says it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10, that we have an enemy and he wants to kill, steal and destroy your life. We have an enemy and he doesn't like you. He wants to kill you. And we need to be aware of the fact that we have an enemy and we need to be aware of his schemes and what it is that he wants to do to us. And he doesn't want to bless you. He wants to do the very opposite. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. He wants to give us a fortunate, well-off, to be envied lifestyle. The enemy wants to rob us of all of those things from coming to pass. And so Jesus, knowing that, spoke into that issue to the crowd that were there that we're reading about in Matthew chapter 5. And he said, blessed are the pure in heart. And he was using the word heart as a metaphor. He wasn't talking about the organ in our body that pumps blood around our body. He was using the heart as a metaphor to talk about our emotions and our feelings and our inner self. And he was addressing much more than I have time to today. What I really want to delve into, because we're talking about having Christ-centred homes, I want to talk about moral purity and how we may apply it to our homes. And that starts with having a pure heart. And what I find about this message, and what I know about this message, which is why I've spent so much time praying about it this week, is because it's a hard one to deliver and it's a hard one to apply because most people have already concluded they have a pure heart. That they have a good heart. You know, I get into conversations with people all the time and they say, oh yeah, now, I've started dating someone. And uh, I said, oh, I haven't met him. Is he going to you know, introduce him to me at church? Said, no, 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 he doesn't go to church. I said, oh, he doesn't go to church. Well, he goes to another church. No, no, he's actually not a Christian, but he's got a good heart. I, I, I hear that all the time. You know, he's got a good heart. And I want to simply say that that is simply not true. Not because I say so, but because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. See, without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Not in me, not in you, and certainly not in that non-Christian boyfriend. Not because I say so, but because the Bible says so. Let me go back to what I first said. There's truth that we like and there's truth that we don't like, but it's still true. Are you with me today? Um, this, This notion that you can just follow your heart, you need to understand that your heart is deceitful. And if you just follow your heart, it's going to lead you astray. It's going to get you into a lot of trouble. Why is it that so many Christian families do not live the blessed life? It's because they're just following their heart. Their deceitful, wicked heart. And when you follow your heart, it's going to get you to places that you don't want to go. And it's going to cost you a price that you don't want to pay. And it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. So you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. And again, I just want to say, going back to our message last week, we don't need more legalistic Christianity. That's not what I'm talking about here today. So please don't dial out. Listen up, because where we're heading is going to be really helpful, I believe. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, They are darkened in their understanding. This is Paul addressing the Gentiles, of which includes you and I. Let me say it this way. We are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Paul is addressing a very specific issue when he was saying that these people You and I are darkened in our understanding. And then he gives us the why. It's because our hearts get hard. And hard hearts always lead to a darkening in our understanding. I don't know if you've ever been to a movie theatre. Most of us probably have. I don't know if you've ever been to a movie theatre and you've arrived late when it's all dark. And you walk in there and you can't see a thing because it's dark. But if you stay in the darkness long enough, guess what happens? Your eyes acclimatise to the darkness and you can begin to see things that you never saw before. When you live in the darkness long enough, it'll change the way you see things. It'll change the way you behave. Could it be that we, you and I, have got used to the darkness that's around us. And if that's true, then possibly, according to Paul, because of the darkness that we've got used to, we've lost sensitivity. We're not as sensitive anymore. You know, if I said to you, who would give their 12-year-old daughter a bottle of poison to drink? No hand would go up. In actual fact, if your 12-year-old daughter accidentally drank poison. You would do everything you could to get that poison out of her system. Would that be fair to say? And yet we think nothing of giving 12-year-olds a phone with unlimited access to the internet to look at anything that they want, any time they want. Not thinking that that could possibly poison their mind, poison their thoughts, poison their language, 
You see, the lack of blessing, I believe in our lives, has become because our hearts have gotten hard. And so we've become darkened in our understanding. We've lost sensitivity. And now we indulge in all kinds of evil, which is a far cry from the original understanding that we just have a good heart. You see, there's a big difference, as I said last week, between Christian families and Christ-centred homes. Christian families are ten a penny. Christian families are everywhere. You ask someone if they're a Christian, they say, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian family? Yeah, I'm a Christian family. It just doesn't have the same impact or the same meaning anymore. I don't want you to be a Christian family. I want you to have Christ at the centre of your home where you involve Him in your conversations. You involve Him in your decisions. You involve Him in where you spend your money. That's my desire in sharing this particular series with you. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By listening to their high school friends. Doesn't it say that? By watching those stupid television shows. No, it says, by living according to the word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. You know, this morning, my heart is and wants to address creating a culture of purity in our homes. And that doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. It happens when we are intentional about making purity the aim that we might see God. See, some people say, I want to see God. And so then they put the onus on the, the preacher to pray for them. Or they put the onus on the worship leader to, to, to worship over them. Or they put the onus on the service to go longer and have, a, can we have a touch from heaven? You can have a touch from heaven by living according to the Word of God. You can have a touch of heaven without any of this in your home when Christ is at the centre. And that's the premise. And again, we are not a perfect family. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But we do have some fruit. And the only fruit we have is fruit that comes when we live according to the Word of God. And, and I have learned some things over my 50 years. And because of the incredible example of some incredible people that I followed over those years, of which I'm incredibly grateful for. And so I'm not here to point a finger. I'm not here to bring condemnation of any stretch of the imagination. We are here simply saying, God, we're hungry. We are thirsty. We desire more of you. We want to see you more. And if there's anything in my life that's stopping that, we, just want, we want you, as only you can, to lovingly address it so that we can deal with it, so that we can move on and that we can see you more. And so just very quickly, three points. The first thing when it comes to our heart, we've got to guard our heart. Number one, guard our heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Many of you would know this, some maybe not. But it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In other words, as I say all the time, everything starts in the heart. All the issues of life start in the heart. The heart is what you are. In the secrecy of your thought and feeling when nobody knows but God. And this is what I know 
from following God for as long as I have and, and reading the Scriptures. God is more interested in your unseen world than your seen world. Religion is more interested in your seen world than your unseen world. But God and Jesus Christ are more interested in what you are when no one else is around. What you are when no one else is watching. Um, and it's our responsibility to set a guard around a heart. It's not your pastor's responsibility. It's not your husband's. It's, not your, it's your responsibility to set a guard around your heart. Some might say, well, you know, just, just let your conscience guide you. Again, that is just really unhelpful advice because the Bible tells us your conscience and my conscience has been seared. And when our conscience has been seared, we don't see as we ought to see. And so some of the things no longer bother us that should bother us. We say, ah, oh, that doesn't bother me. Well, maybe it should. Maybe the fact that certain things don't bother us anymore is the problem. Because our conscience has been seared. And when we invite God into our life, He lovingly, wonderfully, beautifully points things out, not as a hard taskmaster. Not to send us to our room and, or put us in the naughty corner, but because that thing is going to hurt us. Do you know, when I was in hospital in 2016, they did so many things to me, so many tests, so many jabs, so many needles, so many x-rays, so many CAT scans, so many MRIs, so many things I, I, I just, I don't even want to tell you about. And none of them were them being nasty or mean. They were just trying to help. But let's be honest, no one likes injections. No one likes examinations. But I'm so grateful for all of those injections and examinations. Why? Because they're the things that have kept me alive today. And so we've got to see God as a father and a friend that wants to help, not hinder. Religion says you've been a naughty boy. God says, I can see you're struggling, I want to help you. So at the premise of this, please don't dial out because you're feeling condemned. The Holy Spirit never condemns. The enemy condemns. The Holy Spirit has a great way of convicting us though. So let's just tune into what it is that He may be saying to us today. Practically, I would say this. When it comes to guarding your heart, avoid situations that breed temptation. I just want to keep it real plain, real simple. Just, just avoid situations that breed temptation. I uh, remember two of our oldest kids are now dating and they're both in this room and I'm not here to embarrass them. So I won't tell you all the details, but I want to use our example to highlight something we've done that has been incredibly helpful. Um, I remember when Jordan, she was the first cab off the rank, um, finally succumbed to this young man who had liked her since grade four. Grade four, people. So that means grade four, Jordan was not interested. And in grade five, Jordan was still not interested. And in grade six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that's a, that's a, that's a long wait. And then year 11, things changed a little bit. And, and Jordan said, uh, I think I might like this guy. I said, wow. Well, if he still likes you, man, wow. I mean, th this, this guy, would, he would buy things for at Christmas and Jordan would give him nothing in return. I mean, she, she gave him nothing. But it all changed in year 11. Let me get back to my point. The 
they wanted to start dating. And I, I said to them as a couple, I said, have you thought about your boundaries? In your relationship. I'm not talking about Christian families, I'm talking about your relationship. I'm talking about your relationship. Where's Christ going to be? Is he going to be in the centre? Or are you just going to go by the hashtag Christian family? And I said, I want you to go away and think about the boundaries you want to put in place when it comes to your relationship. Which was a stroke of genius on my part because, one, when they came back to me, it helped me know what they were thinking. And it was stuff that they came up with and Dad didn't put on them. And I figured if I know Jordan and Nathaniel, they'll probably set the bar here and I'll have the opportunity to say, you know what, in real terms, let's make it here. And sure enough, they came back to me with all these lists of what they felt for them would be really helpful in building a relationship that had Christ at the centre of it. And I'm not going to go into that long list because it was a fairly extensive list. But one of the things I, I remember, I thought, wow, they said, we've decided that we're never going to be home alone. I didn't put that on them. You won't read that in the Bible. But if you're talking about guarding your heart, if you're talking about you know, not going places, because you know, when you end up sleeping with someone that you didn't really want to sleep with, it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. And so they set a guard on their heart by saying, we just don't want this. And there's a number of other things. And when Mitch started dating, same thing applied. And it's just wisdom to have situations that we avoid so that we, you know, for me, why use discipline when you can exercise wisdom? Why be home alone, semi-dressed, and then say, oh God, give me strength, oh God, and then blame the woman? You don't even have to ever be in that situation with a wise decision. So I'm just not going to ever get in that situation. Wisdom trumps discipline most of the time. And I, I, just, I, I commend our kids for, for those boundaries and and obviously they've needed God to help them walk them out and, and they've been able to do that to date and I, I'm very proud of them for that. But again, when it comes to your life, what, what are you doing that's just making your life harder than it should be? When you go on the internet, what are you looking at? Why ask God for strength when you're looking at something you didn't even have to start looking at? Why, why put yourself in a situation where there's people that are trying to lead you astray when you didn't even have to be there among those people? Someone doesn't have to be a bad person for them to be bad for you. I would say when it comes to your relationship, be the leader in your relationships. Because every relationship has a dominant influence. I remember as a young kid growing up, we had uh, friends across the road. That's when neighbours actually spoke and played together as kids. And we had all these kids in the neighbourhood and we'd go over the road and play cricket and do all kinds of things. And, and I, I never think it coming back from one particular family's home, Deb would say, have you been around so-and-so's place? And I'd say, yeah, how'd you know? He said, you smell like smoke. Now, it didn't mean I was smoking, but it just meant I was in the influence of someone who was. And his influence affected me. My dad knew where I had been because of how I smelt. Every relationship 
has a dominant influence. And I would say, if you want to be a person that lives with Christ at the centre, be the dominant influence in your relationships. I remember when I was 19 years of age, I've told this story a couple of times before, but bear with me, when I was 19 years of age, I went to Queensland, I had a beer with my um, cousins who I'd met for the very first time and we had a great night. I'll never forget the particular night. We had a lot of fun and, 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 and I was the life of the party and all this came out, you know, and uh, he came down six months later and I said, look, come to youth. I'd love you to meet my friends. And so he came to youth group and he started telling all my youth uh, friends and our youth leaders that uh, I'll never forget this one night. We went out with Tony and he was so drunk. Like, drunk, was I? And I'm just trying to recall what happened when. Was I that drunk? I don't even remember it. And I remember the night he's talking about because I had one beer. And I, and I made a decision. I'm not going to allow alcohol to get the credit for all of this. <laughs> all this God life in me. I'm not going to allow alcohol to get the credit. And, and it does not say in the Bible, Tony, do not drink. It doesn't say that. But I made a decision to not drink. And I never touched alcohol till my late 30s because I didn't want to be the stumbling block and I didn't want alcohol to get the credit. It wasn't legalistically imposed. It was just wisdom. It was just wisdom for me in that season. Avoid situations that breed temptation. Be the dominant one in your relationships. The dominant influence, sorry, in your relationships. Secondly, not only do we need to guard our heart. Is this helpful? But also you've got to address the heart. Address the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord does not look at things people look at. Isn't that interesting? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, what the Bible is saying is that the heart is God's number one concern. Not what you do or don't do. Not what you say and don't say. Your, God's number one concern for you is your heart. He cares most about the deepest, most private parts of our life. Someone once said that Jesus did not come into the world simply because we have bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. And this is why Jesus had such a tough time with the Pharisees and rebuked the Pharisees as often as he did, calling them hypocrites. Why? Because they loved to have the appearance of righteousness. They wanted to make sure that the outside of their cup was really shiny and clean, but on the inside of the cup, it was dirty. And Jesus was forever addressing the Pharisees, not because of the outside, but because it was just a facade, because their inside wasn't clean. You see, I believe one of the biggest problems when it comes to us raising kids is that we speak to the action and not to the heart. If you're parenting, I want to say this, parent the heart. Don't address the actions, address the heart. I've told this story more times than I care to remember, but when I was 12 years old, I got caught shoplifting. Most of you, if not all of you, with the exception of our visitors, would have heard that story because I've told it so many times. And uh, obviously, you know, my dad found out about me getting caught shoplifting. And the first words he said to me was this. He said, Tony, you should have been quicker. 
And I'll never forget those words because what he was addressing, he was addressing the fact that there's nothing you can do that can ever stop you being my son. This may be what you've done, but it's not who you are. But the part of the story I seldom tell is this, the conversation we had after. Dad wasn't concerned about me shoplifting. He wanted to know what's going on that you would do that. The fact that you're shoplifting, I don't care. I want to know what's going on inside. Do you feel you need to shoplift in order to fit in with your friends? Did you shoplift because you need more money? What's going on? And my dad's not a perfect man. But one thing he does hold a black belt in, it's addressing the heart. My dad is a ninja warrior when it comes to addressing the heart. And I'm so grateful that I was raised in a family that put Christ at the centre and he addressed, not my actions, and I have done some of the stupidest things, but he addressed my heart. And he wanted to know what's going on on the inside. This is not like you. What's going on? And I want to say, parents, don't tell your kids off. Don't discipline your kids because they embarrassed you. Don't discipline your kids because they made you look like a bad parent. But address the heart. What's going on? And this is something I've tried to model with my kids over and over and over again. And it's not just in your parenting. It's in your relationships in general. Can you imagine in the workplace if someone just lost their you know, call and, and just kind of just got really angry and instead of just writing that person off, you were the one person in the office that went up and said, hey, it's not like you, what's going on? You know what? I think we'd have more success off the back of that inviting them to church than ignoring them, telling them off all the time, and then say, hey, you should come to church. But if we actually started speaking to the heart and addressing the heart, is this helpful this morning? And number three is a band come. Pursue him with all of your heart. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Here's my question to you as, as a spiritual dad, as a senior pastor, to each and every one of you in this place today. Question. How much impurity... Do you want to let into your life? A lot? Just a little bit. The Bible says we shouldn't even let a hint of immorality in. We often justify it because it's just a little bit. Which reminds me of a story of a young man who desperately wanted to see a film. And he said to his mum, he said, Mum, you know, can I watch this film? And she said, the swearing. He said, Mum, no, no, it's just a little bit of swearing. It's just a little bit of swearing. And so the mum proceeded to make some cookies. And unbeknownst to the child, she got a little bit of dog poop and put it in the batch. Mixed it up, baked the cookies and, and put them before the child. And mum said to the child, would you like a cookie? He says, yeah, I'd love a cookie. And as he was about to take one, mum said, you just need to know one thing. There's some dog poop in it. But don't worry, it's just a little bit of dog poop. 
It's not much. It's just a little bit. We've justified our behaviour by, it's just a little bit. I'm only going to miss one Sunday, just, just one Sunday, just a little bit. But it's what it leads to. It's what it leads to that becomes the problem. I, I, I'm shocked. Again, not in judgment, but just shocked at the lack of wisdom. Not judgment, but shocked at the lack of wisdom of what we allow our children to watch. I've got a 12-year-old daughter and, and what her friends have been allowed to watch just blows my mind. Again, no judgment. I don't know about you, I just find parenting hard at times. I just don't want to make it any harder than it needs to be. That's all I'm saying. Parenting is not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted. And I certainly don't need a child to have any more attitude than they already have. Are you with me? And I know there are certain shows that are going to add to that attitude. I'm, I just, I just, I'm just, might just, it might just be self-preservation talking, but I'm not going to let my kids watch something that's going to add to the aggro or add to the attitude. Or add to the nightmares. Or add to the bad language. Or add to the sexual promiscuity. that got, I'm, just, I'm just not going to do that. Again, no judgment. But I just don't want to make my job as a parent any harder than it needs to be. And so I would rather yield to the Word of God and say, you're a good father. We sing about it. He's a good, good father. You're a good father. Then I'm going I'm to follow your ways because you're good. And, and, and I want to be a good dad. I don't want to be a legalistic dad. I don't want to be a pastor that just tells everyone off week after week. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good pastor. And so I want to give good advice. And so this comes from a place that wants the best for you. God wants the best for us and I want the best for you as I want the best for our family. And again, we're not a perfect family. We haven't done this without making our mistakes. But come on, church. You want to see God. You want to see God. It's not by coming to an altar and falling on the floor and putting pressure on all those around you to have long meetings. That's not where it's at. You can see God when we get a pure heart. When you start saying no to certain things and yes to other things, oh my goodness me, it's incredibly liberating. It's incredibly empowering. A pure heart is a single-minded pursuit of God. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, when we don't have a pure heart, when we don't have a single focus, James calls it double-minded. And then he goes on to say in James 1, he says, A double-minded man or woman is unstable in all that they do. They no longer, no longer know what they should be doing. They no longer, no longer know right from wrong. Because they're divided. They want to they have an appearance of godliness, but they want to live like the devil. They're double-minded. And you'll never see God when you're double-minded. There's an invitation every day of our lives to come. God wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. He wants to be with us. And He's saying, come. But in order for us to come, we have to wash our hands. We have to purify our hearts. We have to be single-minded. If we're not single-minded, it's like the husband who has a wife and a girlfriend. I promise you, when you've got a wife and a girlfriend, no one's happy. I 
Unless, of course, your wife is your girlfriend. Hey, baby. Come, let's stand to our feet. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 